feel a little bit weary, but the Lord is looking for us not to. He, he, he's looking for the church to be pure doctrinally. He's looking for the church to be diligent to make sure it's in and staying in the will of God. And he's looking that, uh, for the church to be given to repentance. That R word we go back to every week a number of times. And this week we'll look at yet another specific church that Jesus addresses. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Revelation 2, starting at verse 18. Revelation 2, 18. It's also on the screen. It says this, to begin, it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Somebody say Thyatira. Good. Now, there should be next a picture of a map. Because now I've just started the trend and we can't break tradition now. So here's Thyatira with the red obvious circle around it. And uh, like the rest of these cities and churches, this is located in what's now modern day Turkey in that part of the world. And Thyatira, you can see it's about 50 miles inland from the Aegean Sea to the west. That goes over to Greece. So you get a geographic idea for where this is. Thyatira in its day, this text was written in the first century AD. And in that day, uh, Thyatira was known as a manufacturing hub. Okay, so there was evidence that in Thyatira there were things like wool workers and linen workers and clothing makers and leather workers and potters and bakers and dye workers. So lots of stuff going on. Thyatira was actually famous for its purple dye production. And it used to be that purple was the most difficult color to manufacture. Therefore, it was the most expensive, right? That's why people of royalty traditionally would wear purple. And uh, we read in the book of Acts, chapter 16, there, we meet a lady named Lydia. And Lydia was from Thyatira. And lo and behold, she was a purple cloth merchant. And she was wealthy. So that gives you like a very, 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 very small idea of what was going on in Thyatira. And there was a church there, which is getting addressed today. And it continues in our text. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So, somebody tell me, whose words are these? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll accept that. That's legit. It says, the words of the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Lord and King Jesus speaking to his church. Okay? This is the Savior who died for us. The one who rose victoriously. The one who calls us to align ourselves to him and to live our lives for him and to love and worship and serve and follow him. I've kind of colloquially, colloquially been using the term Big Jesus. That's who this is talking about. And he says he has eyes like a flame of fire. Okay, this is language for how Jesus is all-powerful and he's all-knowing and all-seeing. He has feet like burnished bronze, so he will move swiftly. He will move powerfully, and no one can overcome him, right? He will trample over his enemies. Um, this is, again, this is big Jesus. This is King Jesus. So we, as his people, we got to listen up. That's the score here. And he says to the church in Thyatira in verse 19, I know your works. Okay? Jesus sees and knows it all. He knows everything that's going on in that church. And what I would posit to you is this. Jesus knows everything that's going on in this church. The one that you reside in and are part of. Jesus knows everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. And, and I just wonder, wonder what Jesus would say about us. 
Now, he's not writing a letter to us that goes in Scripture, but he sees and he knows us as well. And what I want you to know is he loves you. He has grace and peace for you today. That's how we approach our text. And Jesus has a lot of things to say about this church in Thyatira. A lot of them are good. There's actually a number of commendations which we'll look at. He starts out by acknowledging their love. He sees this church and the love they have. And this is, this is wonderful. Because if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the church in... I could quiz you and ask you what church it was, but I won't. It was in the church at Ephesus. And despite all of the things that looked like were going really well, the rebuke there was, you don't have any love. Okay? And that's a problem. If you don't have love, you don't really have anything. It's hard to do much as a church if you don't love God. It's hard to get very far if we don't love one another. So it's very important. And and, and what I want you to see is that love is at the head of the list here. Okay? And, And what that teaches us is that love should be one of our primary motivators as believers for everything that we do. Like our love for God should quicken our hearts. Okay? Our love for God should affect us. Our love for God should give us the desire to see him lifted high. Our, our love for God should lead to action. It should lead to love for one another, right? It should lead to love for our neighbors and our community, right? Especially those who don't know the Lord yet. Okay? Our love for God should affect these things in us. And, and like we talked about a couple weeks ago... If we do things as Christians from a different motive, for different reasons, other than first and foremost a love and adoration for God, we aren't dipping into the, the most powerful source of fuel for us, right? That, like, like for whatever reason we might be doing something apart from love, it doesn't have the same lasting staying power as a love for God. That's, that's where the roots go deep. That's where we're taking aim. So these guys in this church at Thyatira had love. The Lord says, yes, thumbs up. And he says, what's the next one? Okay. Yeah, it's faith. They have faith. And, and, and faith, I'll say, is another motivator for us, right? We should do the things we do as Christians because we believe and have faith that God is who he says he is. Okay? We, we should do the things we do because we have faith that God's promises are going to come to pass, that not one of them fails. We should do what we do because we have faith that God is on his throne and he is in control. We should do what we do because we have faith that he has good for us and those around us. Faith is supposed to also affect how we are and what we do. And and so again, these people in the church at Thyatira had faith and love, and that's really good, and it leads to the next one, which is, since you're on a roll, you can say it. Service. So these guys were doing stuff. That's good news, right? We want to be doing stuff. And uh, it, it sounds like a really good church so far. They love God. They love one another. They have faith. And they're doing stuff. And, and, and what I want you to know, and we've talked about this too, serving, ministry, they are things that all believers are expected to partake in. Serving and being a Christian are not mutually exclusive people. Okay? There's no such thing as a Christian who isn't supposed to serve, who isn't supposed to be in ministry, if you will. And, and, and so my question to you, which I don't want you to answer out loud, is how are you serving these days? Okay? That's something that the Lord expects of us. And then Jesus says, and I love this, I love this about this church. He says that your latter works exceed the first. 
So in other words, they're loving, having faith, serving, and they're getting better at it. So that's really cool because things are looking up. They're happening in ever-increasing measure. And it seems thus far that the favor and the blessing of God is on this church. And what I would say to you is that that's what we want for our church. Okay? So I would ask you to pray for that. Pray for your leaders. Pray for our church because this is, this is the kind of stuff we want to see here. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist here. I'm saying we, like the church in Thyatira, we want our latter works to exceed the first. You guys know what I'm saying? Are we tracking so far? Okay. So there really are a lot of good things that Jesus says about that church. Like so far, like that's, that's a church I'd want to be in, just saying. But as we'll see, uh, they did have some stuff to work on. Uh, Jesus does have some rebukes for them. He actually has one rebuke for them, but it's pretty substantial one, and he goes into pretty uh, significant detail about it. So look at verse 20. He says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So when it talks about that woman Jezebel... Uh, there are a lot of people who believe that this is referring to someone specific who was in that church, but that her, her name may or may not have been Jezebel. And uh, they would say she's called Jezebel for symbolic reasons. So, so the imagery there is uh, the, the origin of that Jezebel name. Uh, we see this lady Jezebel in the Old Testament. That's where this comes from. And uh, she was the wife of King Ahab, if you remember reading the story. And Ahab has a super cool name, but he was a super bad king, okay? And Jezebel is cut from much the same cloth. She was a bad apple, okay? She, like there's one, I mean, there's many things I could have drawn from, but one example of, of, of her is that she had an innocent man put to death on one occasion because he wouldn't give them his vineyard. And in my mind, I don't know if what you would think. I would think, you're the king and queen. You probably have lots of money to go buy some other vineyard. But they had to have that one, and they had literally killed the guy for it. But more to the point, uh, Jezebel worshipped false gods, okay? And she convinced the king of Israel and many others in Israel to do the same, okay? She led many people astray. So, so, so the name Jezebel here is quite possibly used as a symbol of false prophecy that leads people astray. So this Jezebel, back to our text, she calls herself a prophetess, okay? Now, prophet, prophetess, prophecy, that's a very large topic, which, note, we don't have time for it today. So if you would just allow me to give a very high level, very up there definition of, of what this is talking about. A prophet is someone essentially who speaks the will of God, okay? And that can look like many different things. That can look like telling the future. That can look like pointing to the past. That could be calling people to repentance. That could be calling people just to align themselves with the Lord. This could be speaking blessing over someone, uh, in accordance with God's word. All of that can be prophecy. And, and, and there are many examples of prophets and prophecy and prophetesses in Scripture, good godly ones. But what I want to point out to you is that the Bible doesn't say one particular thing about all of those true prophets. And you know what that is? None of them were self-proclaimed. Okay? A, a, a true prophet 
is called and equipped by God. But Jezebel, what? Calls herself a prophetess. Okay? See that distinction there. And, and, and sometimes when this sort of self-proclamation happens, when we just say, here's who I am, and here's how you need to see me, and here's how you need to treat me, and here's what I'm doing, and you all need to get on board with it, sometimes pride is a motivator for that. Okay? And we've talked about pride. Pride, pride seeks to see ourselves elevated, right? It seeks to... It seeks to exalt us to receive the attention, to receive the glory from other people. That's what pride desires in us. And you know what the problem with that is? Is that all of those things are things that are supposed to be reserved for the Lord Jesus. Okay? He is to be elevated. He is to be exalted. He is to be made much of. He is to be lifted high. He is to receive the glory and not us. Okay? So we need to make sure, friends, because I don't know about you, Surely it wouldn't happen to you. But pride is something that we're susceptible to. And pride is kind of like a weed. You know, sometimes you notice it and you, you, you do what you do to that. You kick it away, you snuff it out, whatever. And all of a sudden it pops up over here. Okay? So I, I'm just saying we need to be diligent. We need to be examining our hearts to check for pride. And we need to deal with it when it comes up. That's all I'm saying. So Jezebel calls herself a prophetess, and she's teaching and seducing my servants. I would just point out that anytime you need to use the word seducing, means you're probably doing something you're not supposed to do, okay? <laughs> so, so Jezebel is trying to take people who are legitimately seeking to follow the Lord, and she's trying to get them off of that course and, and get them to go down this false road. And this is very serious, okay? She's teaching and seducing them to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So this is the very same thing, by the way, we talked about last week for the church in Pergamum. Ah, I should have quizzed you. Oh, well. Anyway, the, the reality is, listen, God has called us to live in a way that is most honoring to him and most beneficial for us, okay? And, and the cool thing about that is if it's, if it's the most honoring thing for God, it will naturally be good for us. And if it's something that's truly good for us, it will be honoring to God. That's pretty cool. And that's his will for us. But this stuff that Jezebel is doing is the opposite, okay? This is not honoring to God. It's not actually good for people. It's actually an example of unfaithfulness and of sin. And sin is serious to God. And sin should therefore be serious to us as believers as well. So verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent. Remember, this is Jesus talking. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And of the many things we could kind of dive into and say about that verse, here's what I want you to notice about that, that verse 21. Something of God's character is, is kind of alluded to in there, and it's this. He is very patient with us. God is very patient with us. He is not the type to the moment that we mess up or stumble or drop the ball, God just unleashes into a tirade and starts chucking stuff and stomps us with his boot, okay? God isn't like that. 
You need to know that. But at the same time, neither is he a doormat, right? God just doesn't let it slide, if you will. God will deal with it. God will pour out his wrath for sin. But what I'm saying is, and I'm trying to just point this out, God is patient with us. And I hope that you've seen that in your life as a Christian, God's patience. And, and, and he loves us so much that he doesn't write us off the moment that we drop the ball. Is anyone thankful for that? Okay, a few of you are. However, the Lord does expect us to change our ways, right? That's kind of the balance that we're treading here. God loves us and has grace for us, and he calls us to repent, to change. That's what repentance is, to turn away and to, to follow the Lord. Uh, you read in a place like 2 Peter 3.9, it talks about how God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then we see it in that verse right there, verse 21, what God is after in Jezebel, even though she's in sin, even though she's doing some stuff wrong, leading people astray, he wants her to repent. And he's giving her time to do so. That's very gracious and patient of him. But it says she refuses. And we have the choice, right, whether we're going to repent or not, to turn to the Lord or not. And here's kind of where it gets a little bit intense. Verse 22, he says, Behold... I will throw her onto a sickbed. Okay, this speaks of judgment from God. This is consequence for prolonged sin, right? Because she refuses to repent. And those who commit adultery with her, this could be literal sexual adultery, because that's kind of in view here, or this could be just general spiritual adultery, right? Adultery is unfaithfulness. So this is like, instead of being faithful to God and following him, we get off of this way and we're unfaithful, right? Uh, regardless, though, it, it says, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Again, judgment, consequences for sin. Unless they repent of her works. So there's the R word, repentance, yet again. Hope you're not tired of it. Um, and, and, and it says, verse 23, I will strike her children dead. So, again, that's pretty intense. That could mean several different things. It's perhaps symbolic of of those who follow her, right, her children, her followers. But at any rate, what's clear is that there's judgment and there's consequences for sin. If we just remain in unrepentant sin and keep on going, okay, that doesn't end well for us. That's what, that's what this text is saying. And all the churches, it says, will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. That's big Jesus if I ever heard it. He, he searches our minds and our hearts. He sees and he knows it all, okay? The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. He knows when we're having a great day and when our heart is so right before him and the wind is in our sails, he knows that. And that's awesome. And those are really good days. He also knows when we're having a bad day and maybe we're not super close to him in that moment and we're raging against someone or we're thinking thoughts we shouldn't think or whatever. He searches the mind and the heart and he knows it all. He knows the motivations for our actions. He knows the secret thoughts that we don't share. He knows all the insecurities we have. He knows everything that we try to bury so that no one can see. Jesus sees it all. I want you to know that today. And he says, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So when this life is over, we will go and stand before God and we will be judged according to our works. That's what the scriptures talk about. And on, listen, on our own merit, that's very bad news. That's very bad news. Because our works, 
And works are just things that we do. Our works are not enough to save us. Our works in and of themselves are not enough to make us right with God. They're not enough to gain, uh, let us gain access to God or, or that, that God should just magically forgive our sins because our works were good enough. That's not how it works. Actually, if you're like me anyway, our works are usually enough to condemn us and show us how far we've fallen short, right? So that's bad news in and of itself. But listen, listen, listen. This is the message of the gospel, Christ died for you. Christ died for you to pay for your sins. And when we believe in and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're not judged according to our works. We're judged according to the work that he has already done on the cross. Okay? He gave his life on the cross, and he died for us there. And, 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 and we, we see what Martin Luther called the great exchange there. Jesus exchanged his life for our death, right? He exchanged, uh, he, he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He took our guilt and proclaimed us innocent. So when we go and stand before God, not if, but when... Like I said, we are pronounced not guilty. Not because of anything I've done, but it's because of what he has done. I hope you see this today. The crux of this verse is that we should always seek to follow Jesus and trust in him wholeheartedly. And listen, if we do, we will be taken care of. We don't have to worry he continues in verse 24, he says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. So now he's talking to those who aren't following Jezebel and her teaching. He's saying, hey, you guys, keep going, keep growing, keep pressing forward, keep going in me. He says, uh, he says you have not dipped into this satanic behavior. You have not brought this shame upon yourselves. He says, I don't lay anything else on you. Keep doing what you're doing. Only, verse 25, hold fast what you have until I come. I would just again point out that what we have is the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. And we're called to cling to that, to cling to Jesus. And again, everything will be all right. Doesn't mean that we won't have any bad days or hard times, but that God will see us through. That's what this is saying. The one who conquers, verse 26, and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So I won't linger on this, big topic, but the Bible talks about how we will rule with Christ in the age to come. That's pretty cool. Maybe we'll have a sermon on it sometime. But anyway, we will get to share in Jesus' decisive victory over sin. Okay, And it says in verse 27, And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. This is language of power, authority, strength, victory, crushing his enemies. Okay, This is the ultimate rule and reign on display of Christ. And we will get to share in this with him as believers. 28, I will give him the morning star. Again, that's like such just a loaded image. We could talk about that for a long time. But the morning star and other places in Scripture, that's, that's a reference to Jesus himself. And, and I would just point out, here it is, it just comes back to Jesus over and over and over again. It's like as a church, we're supposed to pay attention to him or something, right? And finally, he closes with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. So we need to make sure we're listening, that we're listening with open hearts and open ears and open minds because the Lord has a word for us. God speaks to us, and we need to make sure that we are listening. So, okay, everybody take a deep breath in. It's deep breath time. Yep, and out. Okay, one more. Good for you. I want to talk for a few minutes. We're going to sort of go a different direction entirely than where we've been today. Uh, I want to talk about us. And and there's one specific thing I kind of want to get at here. Um, If you go back to verse 20, yeah, I skipped over something in here on purpose, and I want to come back to it now. So we learned that Jezebel obviously had sin of her own, and she was doing stuff she shouldn't do, and that was bad for her, that was bad for those who followed her. But what I want us to see is that the church had a stake in this as well. Okay? The church was at fault to a degree here as well. And you can see it on the screen, the church's sin here. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel. So we're going to talk about tolerance. Somebody says, great. I would love to talk about tolerance. Thank you. So I don't know if you know this. Tolerance, okay, this is a fairly big buzzword and a big topic, particularly surrounding Christians and the church these days, okay? So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably figured that out by now. And, and, and because we live in a culture that is post-Christian, by and large, and our culture pr- uh, prizes and values and preaches tolerance, okay? And like to a point that's not necessarily bad, but it gets to the stage where as soon as anyone is perceived to be acting intolerantly to someone else, the context is really irrelevant to the world. If you're behaving intolerantly, like you are heavily rebuked. Like you are called out, you are reprimanded, you are yelled at, rather intolerantly actually. That's okay. And, 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 and unfortunately the church sometimes gets bad publicity for being intolerant. Whether it's true or not, honestly, guys, that's the brush that a lot of people paint the church with. They're a bunch of intolerant people. I want nothing to do with them. But, but, but the Bible clearly speaks, not only here, but in other places, it speaks about tolerance and intolerance. So we need to make sure that we are informed, okay? And obviously, this is a huge, huge, huge topic, okay? And I don't see many of you have brought a packed lunch, so we can't, we can't talk about all of this today, okay? Seriously. What I want to do, I want us to just take one bite out of this, okay? One bite. So, so the Bible does speak about how we're to approach and address this tolerance business with regard to non-believers. The Bible talks about that, and that's actually very helpful, that's very practical, and we should talk about that sometime, uh, because that could just be a good piece of life uh, lesson to know. But, but today we're not specifically looking at that. Today, we need to look at what Scripture says about tolerance within the church. Okay? Tolerance among those who claim Jesus as Lord. So this is a family talk, okay? This is, a, this is for those of us who belong to Jesus, which is obviously most of us here. Like we're kind of getting at, um, despite what the world might say, it's actually not 
best practice for us to just tolerate everything. We can't just tolerate every single thing that happens in the church, okay? Because, like I said, sin is serious, and we can't afford to just turn a blind eye or say, well, nobody really cares. Because listen, listen, God cares. And like we said, if He cares, that means that we should care. If that's, a, if that's something important to Him, it needs to be important to us. And like we've seen in the text today, His one rebuke, his one rebuke to the church in Thyatira is that they were tolerating sin in the camp, flagrant sin. So I want to just kind of funnel us down this road here. And what I would say is this, first and foremost, we've got to get straight on a couple of things, okay, before we go further. One is this. Even though we as Christians have been saved, there's no doubt we've been saved, uh, there's no doubt that we've been forgiven from our sins, listen, we are still fallible human beings. Yes, even you. Okay? You and I are still going to slip up. You and I are still going to stumble. You and I are still going to drop the ball occasionally. And I'm not saying, but that's okay, it doesn't matter. Like, yes, those things are sinful, we need to work past them. But what I'm saying is, all of us are human, and we all sin. Some of you, most of us probably already have today. Okay? I was thinking, I have a long car ride to get in here. That's a lot of opportunity to, to, to drop the ball, okay? So what we don't need to do is every time we see someone in the church even slightly go into the territory of dropping the ball or sinning or messing up, we need to get out the Bible and we need to start clubbing people with it, okay? That's not what we need to do, Okay? Uh, what, what comes to my mind is how Jesus, you might remember this, Jesus said, uh, if you need to address something with someone who's in sin or, or whatever the case may be, he said, hey, remember what he said? First deal with the what? The, the law, the plank in your, yes, plank, sorry. The plank in your eye before you deal with the speck in your brother or sister's eye, okay? We all stumble. We need to understand that, okay? The next thing that we need to make sure we're straight on is this. Everything has to be done in love, Somebody say love. You and I are never obligated to have any conversation or any, raise any concern in a way that's unloving. Like if you, if you go in and you need to have a conversation with someone about, say they are in sin and absolutely a conversation needs to happen. If you go in unloving, now you're sinning too, okay? And you're not really helping. You're just making it worse. So, so all things must be done in love, for one another. And, and so, with those things said, there are, in fact, times where sin needs to be confronted. Okay? And these aren't always pleasant conversations, as you can imagine, but they are necessary and they are part of God's plan and process for seeing the other person come to repentance and, and come back into the fold just fully and, and walk away from that sin. And the situation involving Jezebel from our text obviously needed to be dealt with based on three principles I want to show you. The first one is this. Her sin was public. Okay? It wasn't as though Jezebel was just hiding out in her room and doing something that, watch my hands, only affected her and no one else was getting hurt by it and no one else even knew. Okay? That's not good either. Not advocating for that. But Jezebel... 
right? She was going around and, and, and telling other people about stuff. She had other people following her lead, right? Remember, she called herself a prophetess. This means she's going up and saying, hi, I'm Jezebel the prophetess. Here's my business card, right? That's what this means. And, and in other words, people definitely knew about her and knew about what was going on. And we're not told, but who knows? Like, maybe the whole church knew about it. It was public, and it's kind of like one of those things, this is just a sidebar, it's like, do you ever go somewhere, it doesn't even have to be a sin thing, but like, where everyone in the room knows about something, but you're not talking about it? Like, it's just very awkward. That's not really a way to move forward. So, it needed to be dealt with because it was public. Secondly, it was ongoing. Somebody say ongoing. It, it said about Jezebel, she is teaching, it does not say, yes, Jezebel once did this wrong thing and led people astray, but she realized and she repented and she moved on and praised to God, we're past that. No, this is saying she's in it right now and she's continuing in it. And, and, and it says in 1 Timothy 5.20, as for those who persist, persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So again, that's not what you lead with, but when there's deep, serious, persistent sin, well, there's serious measures that need to be taken. Her sin was ongoing. And, and thirdly, others were being led astray by what she was doing. And that's kind of like the final straw, right? She was teaching and seducing God's people to get off his path and to get into sin. And this is very serious. And Jesus expects it to be dealt with. Okay? Now you might look at that and say, well, that's judgmental, Braden. That's judgmental to do that. I would point you to 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Again, doing it the right way. You might say, well, Braden, that's intolerant. Can't do that. That's intolerant. Well, I think it's pretty clear from our text we're not supposed to just tolerate everything, carte blanche, and not think about it, right? You might say, well, Braden, that's unloving to have such a conversation with someone, to confront them in their sin. That's unloving. If you read in Ephesians 4.15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So in other words, what the most actual unloving thing we can do for someone is when we see them in sin, clearly it's happening, and we do nothing and we allow them to continue on down that path, and we continue to allow them to falter in their growth in Christ. That's unloving, okay? And so here's, we're coming in. Here's what I'm saying about us, specifically. We need to take this stuff seriously, okay? If we want, as a church, to be in the will of God, which I've said over and over and over and over again till I'm blue in the face, that we do, that's what we want, then we need to line ourselves up with this, okay? As a church, we should have the desire in our hearts to move past the sins we deal with. As a church, we should have a, a valuing for one another's growth in our holiness, in our walk with Christ. As a church, we should be seeking righteousness in the way that we live. As a church, however God feels about sin, that's how we should feel about it, okay? And you need to know, listen, you need to know that if it becomes apparent that any one of us, I would include myself, any of us, falls into sin, especially this, this ongoing and deliberate and public, flagrant kind of sin, you need to know someone's going to come and talk to you about it. Okay? 
And the reason why is because, listen, we love you very dearly. If you get one of the elders knocking on your door to talk to you about a sin in your life, it's not because they're trying to make your life miserable. We want to help you. We love you. We want good for you. And we want to help you through and past whatever you're in. Okay? And we want to make sure as a church that we're doing what we need to do to, to not put ourselves offside with the Lord. Okay? This church in Thyatira was offside a little bit with God. We don't want that. We want to make sure we're in the will of God and positioning ourselves as a church for blessing. That's what I'm saying. So, I'll close with this. Like I said, I promise I'm wrapping up. <laughs> Here's what I'll close with. I want you to know, we, yes you, we are a family. Family. God is our Heavenly Father, and He's a good Father. We've sung about that already. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ of one another. Okay? Sometimes we're a dysfunctional family, but we are a family nonetheless. And listen, families stick together. Families help each other. Okay? What I, and listen, what I need to make sure you are totally understanding is this. What I don't want you to do is think, oh my word, if I drop the ball, if I mess up, if I sin, oh my word, how am I going to possibly show my face around the church? Oh my goodness, that's embarrassing, that's humiliating. And we know that God hates sin, and oh my word, like it's going to be, I better just leave. I better just not even bother. That is not at all what I want you to do, okay? Or maybe even, let's make it even more real, maybe some of you are in a particular strong ongoing sin right now. Someone says, I think I hear my mother calling. <laughs> okay? Listen, maybe that's where you're at today. And I'm glad you're here. And God loves you and God has grace for you. But listen, I don't want you to run from God or the church. Okay? First, we need to give this stuff to God. The sins that we deal with, that we all deal with. Okay? We need to give them to God. We hand it over to him. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. And listen, God will forgive you. There are no exceptions. If you are repentant of sin and you hand it to the Lord, he will forgive you. We can walk in confidence before him in that truth. And secondly, we can also walk in confidence with one another, okay? Since we are a family, we don't have to worry about, oh my word, someone's going to write me off as soon as I sin and I'll be thrown out by security. That'd be you, Jim. Okay? Okay? They can't because, listen, we are blood. And listen, even more importantly, we are covered by the blood of Christ. Okay? Let, I'm saying let us develop a culture where we can confess our sins to God and where we can confess our sins to one another and we can lovingly talk to someone if sin arises and we can help support each other and encourage one another and help us uh, to all grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. That's what this is all about. And listen, so God is not going anywhere, okay? And neither are we going anywhere, so let this be the day. I hope I'm talking to somebody today. Let this be the day when you give it up, okay? Let this be the day. Whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever baggage you're carrying around, give it to God. You can do that today, right now, as we're gathered together with him. Then, what I would encourage you to do strongly is go and talk to somebody, 
There's lots of somebodies here today. Find someone you trust. Talk to them. Because when we confess our sins to God and to one another, you would think, oh, well, that's just going to put walls up between us. That's just going to make things awkward between God and me and, you know, my church family and me. No, no, no. This is where we find freedom and healing and the ability and the strength to move past stuff. That's how it happens. So what we can't afford to do, we cannot afford to do is nothing. I don't want you to sit here knowing that there's something that needs to be dealt with in you and just to say, well, we'll deal with that another time. Don't want to deal with that today. I'm out of here. I don't want you to leave this building today until you deal with stuff, okay? This has to come out. And let it begin in this place today, right now. That's what I'm saying. So I want to pray for us. So if you would, join me. We're going to go to the Lord.